guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Hi everyone, welcome back to a new episode of Dubai Works. I'm very pleased to have uh, a guest on today, Ben Pullen, the co-founder and CEO of Generation E. Generation E are a brilliant Dubai-based startup. I say brilliant in, in terms of what they've done over the last few years. The space that they're in is very exciting. It's all about mobility and the environment, and a lot of we'll be able to discuss a lot of trends this morning. Uh, so, Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, Rich. Great to be on the show with you. And uh, yeah, so I loosely touched on Generation E, um, but how you've grown the company out of Astrolabs in Dubai and how you've kind of uh, led the growth uh, to other markets, uh, launched the first ever electric vehicle road trips across the UAE and in South Africa. This is very kind of trendsetting and emerging things that you're doing. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the idea and where the idea of your company came from? Yeah, it's uh, it's great you mentioned Astrolabs because obviously that's where we met and um, Astrolabs reminds me of where we came from and how it was all about startups and trying to make things happen, um, you know, finding problems in the region and, and presenting solutions that can help. And uh, and now we sit here in a, in a recession, I think we can say that now. My entrepreneurial journey actually started um, in the last recession because that's when I went to university. And I went to study business with economics and it was just as the recession had hit and all that the professors and the teachers and the news were speaking about was this recession and the government back then believed that the way to get the world or, or the UK out of the recession was to go gung-ho on entrepreneurship and enterprise. So my whole three, four, five years at university were completely centered around you should be an entrepreneur, you could be an entrepreneur think about startups and entrepreneurialism. So by the time I actually got to Dubai in 2015, I was hungry for being an entrepreneur and, and finding problems and creating businesses that can solve those problems. And and that that's what Dubai means for me really was, you know, this um, place where uh, lots of ideas are flowing, there's lots of different needs arising and to, to create a startup here, it's an amazing place because of those obvious problems and needs that you can solve. And so Astrolabs was an amazing space and ecosystem for me and the company to, to grow in those early months in the first year. What was and the, that's why Generation E. What was the business plan? What was the first concept you had? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question because we're, we've evolved a lot since then. But the, our first product was the electric vehicle road trip and that business evolved out of a mission-driven project that I was delivering in Europe, was, which was around running electric vehicle road trips that raised awareness uh, and educated the market around electric vehicles. And remember back in 2014 and 15, no one was speaking about electric vehicles unless you're a super geek or a nerd or you just love that kind of stuff. But I knew that there was a need to, to raise awareness around these vehicles, electric vehicles, as quickly as possible. So we launched the project in Europe, but we commercialized and turned it into a business in Dubai because I could just see there was a gap, there was a need, and there was a lot of excitement around sustainability back in 2016 when we launched it. So it was an electric vehicle road trip, um, a four-day road trip that acted as, as a, an event a platform where companies like um, Renault, core hotels, Emirates MBD, could sponsor and become partners to engage with our audience around the theme of electrification. Interesting. So, and how did it evolve from there? Generation E is more than uh, electric vehicle road trip now. Uh, and what, what does your company do today? So after we ran the first electric vehicle road trip, we acquired so much knowledge in doing that, that we we became one of the main authorities on the topic of electric vehicles. Um, so we started to build forums um, and more B2B focused events where we could exchange knowledge, bring together the right key players. And so that was the beginning of our B2B conference business. 
um, a few months after we ran the first forum in Dubai, we launched uh, a conference in London called the eMobility Conference, um, which back then in 2017 was like one of the only sort of main conferences for electric vehicles. It, it really, you know, it was such a quiet space. There wasn't that much happening. Um, and so from that conference in London, where we had some great speakers from government and industry, we just kept iterating and, and building the conference side of the business, as well as the electric vehicle road trip side. So the EVRT, as we call it, is more consumer focused. And then the summits are B2B in government. Um, and last year we ran, we launched in, in Africa. It was our first year there. And we delivered Smarter Mobility Africa, which is where this picture, uh, which is where I'm sat right now in the, <laughs> in the arena. Yeah, looks like a very, very impressive we, setup. Yeah. Thank you, and it, and, it, and it really was, and it was kind of a combination of our expertise that we built, but with the need, it was, you know, the need was so clear in South Africa and Africa that it became an overnight success, and I'm proud to say it's the main mobility event in the whole of Africa today, mm. uh, so we're busy working on the next one, which is in October, so and then if I bring it back to Dubai, I was just going to mention Smarter Mobility World, which we delivered two weeks ago, um, and yeah, because of COVID-19, we had to go from a complete physical event into a 100% digital event, which was quite an exciting experience. Amazing. I will definitely talk about that in a bit more detail because there's so much that's happening now around the current situation but it, it, and its impact on the events industry. And, you know, you know the, the words that were spoken about over the last few years, the digital transformation, um, there's a lot of kind of proof uh, in the pudding sort of to see how companies have re responded and it's great to see that you that you adapted so quickly um, you're talking about electric vehicles as an industry uh, and you know you, you you mentioned you spotted it at the time or you kind of set up your business when it wasn't uh, that big of an industry and I just want to kind of touch on creating a business around a, a new ecosystem or a new industry uh, you know I think I think it's fascinating when uh, when we see uh, people look at market insights and trends and uh, gaps in markets. People often talk about a gap in a market. Um, and you mentioned the different types of things that your company has done all around um, electric vehicles and, and that sort of industry. Is, how have you seen the ecosystem grow? How do, you know, how do we know that if someone says a few years ago, long-winded question here, but if someone says a few years ago, um, electric vehicles are going to be big, the idea might be, okay, I'm going to make an electric vehicle. At what point do you as an entrepreneur think of the ecosystem and say, oh, there might be need for a media company around that. There might be need for an events business around that. There might be need for a SaaS product around that. Um, and did you look at all those things and say, I'm not going to, and what was your thought process basically around that? That's a great question. And, and actually, um, the path leading up to launching Generation E saw me actually trying to build the first electric vehicle car sharing company in Dubai. So I could see there was a need to innovate in mobility here. Um, I could see there was a need to raise awareness around electric vehicles. And so my initial solution was to build a car sharing company um, that, that used only electric vehicles. So we spent around nine months doing that. Um, we got to the point where the regulators said, Kate, we're going to have to regulate this and then we'll launch a tender. And so I went through the tender process, but unfortunately didn't win that. Two other companies did um, who are doing really well. Um, so I, I, I basically had to go back to the drawing board and think, okay, I know what the challenge is. I know what the need is. What can I do very quickly um, to, to be able to solve that need, but also to create a sustainable business? Okay. And so that's where um, Generation E was launched. So just explain, I think, you know, I'm thinking of e-car and U-Drive. Are they, they're on the market and car sharing, are they just electric vehicles? Or was the, or would, if you'd won that tender, would you have had electric vehicles and standard vehicles? Yeah, I think um, that's a good point because if I look back, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been so ambitious. And what I mean by that is I was so mission driven that I was, you know, 
fully committed to it would be a car sharing company that would be either fully electric or hybrid vehicles. I didn't want to go down to having fully petrol or diesel cars. Whereas you drive an e-car, we're focused on let's get the business moving, you know, get the model working and use the cheapest cars you can. Um, and so they did. And they have, got things moving. And have a roadmap to sustainability and to electric vehicles. Yeah. And so now e-cars um, moving into electrification. They've got the partnership with Mazda where they have Teslas. And uh, I know that Wilhelm and, and, the, and the team, they would love to do more electric and hybrid vehicles. It's just trying to get the business model to work so that it is sustainable. Mm. And then what led you then to events as a next move from that? That was, that was an accident. <laughs> uh, like um, I think a lot of things are on the entrepreneurial journey. And I, I think the thing with events is that the, the impact is kind of instant. Um, you know, you, you have a topic, you have a date, and then you all work towards delivering something amazing and you bring together the ecosystem. And the response was, was so good um, across Europe, in Dubai, that we, we, we accidentally launched an event company. I don't think that was the intention at the start, but that's what we became. Mm. Um, and so we've taken, taken the accidental discovery and, and turned it into um, a stronger event company. Mm. I think, you know, events companies are typically either kind of logistic or production companies um, who would have their own IP and their own brands or they would be experts at putting on events and having all that, that expertise, manpower and now as we talk about the virtual events and digital events. But then something, um, is this your experience that being a, a subject matter expert or a thought leader on a topic such as electric vehicles um, lends itself to events and in burgoing industries I'm thinking of say um, you know plant-based food or crypto or blockchain that um, young industries need gathering points and meeting points for knowledge sharing and um, naturally kind of events grow out of that is that is that what happened yeah that's it uh, we, we really focused on the topic we had a lot of love for the mission and for the ecosystem and so um, key stakeholders look to us you know for knowledge for insights and for connections in the industry so we we played that role and it's quite an enjoyable role because you really sit in the middle of the industry and you you're completely neutral so you know one day you're speaking to a bank the next day it's to the government then it's a car sharing company uh, could be a media platform a consumer and that that part of the job i think we really love as a company is just being able to engage in with all those stakeholders and then pull that together into the events that we run. What's needed today to run an event? Um, so right now today, um, <laughs> a Zoom account <laughs> and, uh, and some knowledge. Yeah. I think it, it's interesting because, you know, before this stuff happened with COVID-19, um, we, were, we were completely fully physical on the events. Um, in terms of it was a physical event, people had to come and there was a venue. And it's, it's very resource intensive, especially for us because we, we have so much love for what we're doing and we always want to make sure that what we deliver is creative, it's unique, it's not just a, a standalone exhibition hall event. You know, we want to have a great venue with experiential going on and interactive experiences with the best speakers and the hosts. So, We've, um, we've always gone above board, I think, um, compared to how, you know, maybe just an event company would do it. Mm. Um, we've thought about more the mission and the long-term growth as opposed to the instant profit. Um, do you have... A, and so that, that's... Yeah. So just uh, the mission you mentioned a few times, do you have it as a statement and what is it? Yeah, so our mission is to inspire transformation to smarter mobility. Okay. Interesting. So... You know, in terms of mission-driven events company like that, and you mentioned about long-term growth, did you have, did you raise funds? Uh, did you, and how is the company structured? Yeah, we didn't raise funds, and um, initially we did raise a small amount midway. Um, but actually, what we found is that the effort that you have to put into fundraising is quite quite high. Um, and unless you're raising a, a big amount, 
you probably shouldn't do it because the effort that we put into the rays, if we had applied that effort into um, other areas, um, you know, acquiring more clients, delighting the current clients that we had, maybe focusing more on content and media, the outcome of that financially may have been stronger. Um, so I think if we do raise again going forward, we've got to make sure that it's that the raise makes makes good sense and that the opportunity cost of that doesn't then knock off some of the other opportunities, such as just running the business and generating revenue from our normal business. Um, however, things have changed. Uh, as you know, the events business has, has completely come down to a standstill. We're obviously trying to work out very quickly what is our value offering to the market and how can we make money from that. Okay. And from events business, you can make money traditionally through sponsorship, through admission, um, and maybe through uh, licensing content and things like that. Is that still the case? Yeah, so the, our, our main model was um, sponsorship and then exhibition space with uh, delegate tickets. Mm. Um, and, and we've relied on that a lot. I think obviously with that type of model, you are very much in a, a peak and trough because the event happens and it's great and then you have maybe six months until the next one. So anyway, as a business, you know, we, we need needed to diversify our revenue streams so that we're not so event driven and focused. And that's that's one thing that COVID nineteen is forcing us to do is to is to focus more on the area that we knew was important, but we kept getting distracted from what is our core business, which is the event. Do you, do you think though that because I see a lot of kind of synergies with media and content and um, events because the events are um, content based whether it's a concert or whether it's a business event or whether it's a workshop they're they're content based so that that does fit with the mission of inspiring do you think that you um, you may end up pivoting too far that you might you know potentially one could say that uh, having electric vehicles, car sharing, isn't inspiring per se as a mission. Um, and do you think that, you know, the, the current uh, environment that's causing, you know, you to look at diverse revenue in diverse ways uh, is aligned with your mission? Um, and do you think that, that that focus is still there? Or will you end up kind of uh, going into other areas in this electric vehicle ecosystem as it grows? Yeah, I think, um, I think we're excited about the opportunity for diversifying our model. Um, from day one, we've loved doing the content, we've loved putting out media, and we've loved uh, educating the market in an inspiring way. Um, but we, because the events were so resource intense, we just kept getting sucked into the events. So we've taken that experience. We know that there's always a risk of that happening. Um, so what we've done now is we've allocated uh, one of our team members to lead the event side of the business um, so that they can focus on events and the campaigns behind those events. And I'll be leaning more towards the, the media side of the business with some of the other team members so that we have that headspace. Um, and I think that's really important. It's having the headspace so that you can sit down and think about content, the ecosystem, what's needed, and, and be creative about the pressure of having to sell the tickets or, you know, get get the next round of sponsorship in for the event. Interesting. So you're, the company did evolve from EVRT to now Generation E, which as a name and a brand um, is more en encompassing of other elements of electric vehicle uh, and the electric uh, and the mobility industry. Uh, you talk, So we can see how it's kind of fitting that way. Um, you can you talked about, you know, different team members and um, your structure, you know, because uh, how do you approach leadership and how do you approach uh, recruitment from two aspects? Uh, this is a new industry. Was it hard to find people who understood uh, what you're trying to achieve uh, and to add that knowledge um, of uh, electric vehicles and mobility? And secondly, how do you marry, you know, the resources that you would need pre during events with then not needing that resource afterwards? 
It's a great question, and um, we've, we've had to learn the hard way, I think, because initially we were surrounded by people that shared the same mission, but maybe didn't have the exact skill set needed to deliver um, complex, large-scale events. Um, so, you know, after a few years of doing that, we realized that we should probably get people that maybe aren't 100% mission-driven in terms of they weren't born wanting to make mobility smarter, but they come with the skills of understanding how does an event work, how should a campaign be built, what are some of the things that you need to be doing to enhance the revenue generation and then to deliver for the customer on site. Um, so that's been part of the learning. Um, and now we're, we're really focused on getting the right people in based on the technical skills, but obviously who, who do share the same mission. Um, and then the second part of your question, yeah, it, it is quite hard again with the events because as you get closer to the event, your resales requirement goes up. Um, during the event, it goes up. We've been very fortunate that we've had um, volunteers that have joined during the event. Uh, one person, Osaid, uh, he, he won... Oh, it's really funny actually because he won i think two tickets for the first or the second evrt that we ran um it may have been through you guys through a love in dubai competition um and he joined and then the next year he joined as um, our social media guy um and then he joined us in south africa last year as well so that's somebody that's joined because they just love cars they sort of bought into the mission and they've they've stayed with us um as a volunteer. So we've been quite fortunate there. We'd love to do more on that side because as well as us needing the resource, what we offer in terms of the experience, the exposure and the, the enlightenment of this interesting topic is, mm. is quite interesting for interns or volunteers. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that it's interesting that you, how you described that that person found you and when you're so, uh, when the industry is the size that it is and it's growing, um, and you're passionate about it and you're, you're a thought leader in it, uh, you, you can attract like-minded people and then almost everyone needs to grow together in the skill set side and you kind of learn as you go as well. Um, uh, it, do you find that, especially kind of building a kind of um, you know, meaningful company over time, do you find that that's almost more important? Um, I know you mentioned that you also need the skill sets, but is it more important to have not, not just industry experts, but people who you like working with um, and who can be on that journey with you um, as opposed to someone who's uh, an expert, say, say someone with 20 years experience of, um, you know, have, putting on, say, uh, the biggest rock music concerts in the world, uh, as opposed, yeah, would you prefer the kind of uh, former? Yeah, well, actually, um for some reason, whoever joins the company, they normally, they normally very quickly adopt the mission. And I'm just trying to think why, why in my head is that the case? And it, it might be because mobility is so real for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, um, because mobility covers the whole, the whole spectrum of you know whether you're driving a vehicle or whether you're using public transport or you prefer to walk or use a scooter or you know whatever it may be. So everyone on a daily basis engages with mobility and. I think we all experience those challenges daily, whether it's congestion on Shakeside Road um, or you know not being able to connect your public transport journey up as well as you could. Um, whatever it may be, everyone's kind of experienced some pain in mobility. I think we all appreciate that if we can make it smarter, it would actually improve our lives and we know the impact it could have on the rest of the city. Okay. Uh, just talking again about uh, the events business around a time like this, I, I would like to discuss the trends in electric vehicles and mobility uh, as well in more detail. Um, so you did the Smarter Mobility World uh, virtual event in Dubai uh, last a couple of weeks ago at the end of March. How is that experience for you, given that, given that there were still events events happening in Dubai in the first week of March and the last week of February. Uh, had you planned to have this as a virtual only event? And if, if, if not, then how did you change so quickly? Yeah, that was a really bizarre experience for us because literally every day we were kind of having to rethink the strategy of the event. 
and it, it just kept moving more towards the you know the the realization that okay we cannot run a physical event um and maybe i was in denial at the start or we just didn't know you know as a, as a world or as a country as a region that this would actually spread so much that we're going to have to lock things down um so initially we said okay well we probably can't have a big 500 delegate event let's do a select 100 audience um, and then we started to discuss with the stakeholders and the customers that this was the product and then a few days afterwards we realized okay 100 people is probably not good either let's just do only speakers could come to the studio that we would build and so that was the event right up until the few days before and we just realized that we can't gather a load of people in one studio even if it's a small amount of people so we we, we took the decision then to say that only i could be in the studio and everyone else would have to call in from around the world so that was pretty tough um for me as, as the leader but i think for the team as well because um i think at times they couldn't understand why the plan kept changing so much um, and so i obviously had to explain you know, this isn't a joke i'm not just trying to make your lives a pain it's it's because things are changing so much in the world and my decisions are, are being based on um, what I see on the TV and what I read in Love and Dubai News. Uh, so I you know, had to, and, and that was what we were all doing, I think, businesses and people around the world. We were just trying to read and watch as much as we can to kind of make some kind of judgment, like, yeah. is this going to affect my business? Should I be adapting what I'm doing? Um, and, and what should I do today? And, and that, that was like the, the daily morning run was just trying, what's the update today? What are the figures? Interesting. And you have... You know, obviously things change all the time with events. Speakers pull out, there's weather things. I saw a really interesting, I was talking to a, a friend a, about a month ago and he'd just run a really big event, at, like SEP conference. They just run their event here. And we discussed uh, insurance around events. And um, there's different tiers, which you might, which you're obviously aware of, but one, you might have to pay more for a technical term, a global pandemic. And not many people would take out that insurance. And I saw something yesterday that uh, Wimbledon Tennis Championships uh, have paid $2 million every year for the last 20-something uh, years for global pandemic. Uh, so they paid 40-something million dollars. Wow. And this year, they're being paid out $140 million. You know, and I think, wow. it's, I think it's fascinating when, you know, it, when you think of the industry and the insurance just in the traditional events. Um, so, uh, yeah, is, is that what you've experienced in terms of insurance and um, the changes leading up to events in general? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And, um, yeah, you'd expect the Brits to, to do something like that. They're very, <laughs> very cautious and, and aware of, you know, what, what the worst could happen. And mm. I think we are too, but we never... I think we just were never aware that a global pandemic could be something that would be a threat to the business. Hmm. And um, these pandemics have always seemed so far away. You know, Ebola was, it was Africa, um, SARS and MERS were, were in Asia. And I remember in January, even as the um, COVID-19 was kicking off in China. MERS is, technically, we just, uh, MERS is technically Middle East, which is interesting from a, a naming convention that, you know, people are debating over whether coronavirus should be called Chinese, but it's interesting that MERS yeah. is Middle East. But yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. And, and I always, I mean, I always call the Middle East the Middle East, but it's it's in Asia as well. So True. I think the rest of the world sometimes refer to it as, as Asia. Mm. Maybe they should create a new continent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think yeah, back in January, we, we just thought, you know, this is in China and, uh, it's terrible for them, but we never thought it would be coming over here. Um, and now it is, and now I think we're all more aware of how interconnected the world is and how quickly something could spread. Um, and that's a big focus of what, you know, one of our themes for the summits and what we're doing going forward is about how to build more resilient cities through smarter mobility how so that it can avoid any of these shocks. Interesting. Yeah, uh, hold that thought because I love the themes and the content. Just on the smarter mobility world, how did it go? It went really well. I mean, 
in terms of what the audience saw, it went it went well, and they also experienced some of the comedy behind the technical issues and the human errors. Um, so we'll definitely pull together a bloopers video for that. Um, behind the scenes, it was a huge learning experience for us um, because essentially what we were running was a two-day TV show um, that was live and that had people coming in from all over the world. So again, a, a normal events company probably wouldn't be as crazy as I was to do that. Hmm. But because we're, we're so mission-driven and we want to just we want to get the product out there and we're still quite naive as a company. I think we're, we're ready to take on these new adventures and these new challenges. And it was, and we, we were just so happy we did, you know, we had 18,000 viewers from across the world. Wow. Um, we, we gained more of an audience that we can now interact with, um, going forward for the new media side of the business. Um, we learned a lot around the technical side and how to deliver such an event. Um, what, how should you structure it? And so we're now ready to do another live event. We're now ready to do more um, live and digital stuff uh, day in, day out over the, over the coming years. Interesting. So we, we've seen many things happen. Uh, working from home has happened virtually. Uh, communication. This interview is happening virtually. Uh, we can understand that the technology is there and that people's learning curve uh, may have you know needed to kind of come together fast uh from a commercial point of view what do you think the appetite is from your your business model for digital events a do you think that you can have sponsors and would they pay as much uh bluntly and then secondly from a, a, a consumer point of view uh can you have the tickets and you know you mentioned earlier about the the real estate space is there a digital version of that so what happens commercially for the one that you just run and how does that evolve in the future? I think there definitely will be commercial opportunities around digital. Um, the one block is, is just around whether people actually, whether companies want to spend and consumers and other businesses want to buy. That's the only thing that would stop the, the spend on digital events. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if, if a digital event can bring uh, the buyer and the seller together, then there's there's an opportunity to, um, there's value for both sides and, and, and that you can commercialize. I think the uncertainty is just around um, different players trying to understand who is, who is their current target market right now mm. um, based on people's income level shifting and uncertainty being so high. Mm. Um, can you think of an example? Yeah. So, can you think of an example from another industry? Uh, we, we, I mean, this is a nice segue into content and streaming and uh, the media side of your business that you that you're focusing on. But can you think of another example where people paid for tickets uh, for an event online? Uh, you know, have people paid for uh, ask me anything chats? Have they paid for? Uh, one up, you know. I'm thinking of box office boxing events and things like that. Pay per view. Um, is that the comparison we have here? Um, I think those events are very consumer focused. Um, and the, the great thing about consumer events is you can have high volume and you could probably have a lower ticket price. Um, and I'm also thinking about the you know, the rise of things like online FIFA. So, you know, kids in their bedrooms that have won the Premier League um, on these, these fully virtual football leagues that are around the world. And then you get, well, you get stadiums that they go and watch at a stadium on the screen as, as if it was a real game and they can watch virtually as well. Um, I think in the B2B world, the, the closest comparison I can think of is probably around training events. Um, Okay. So people spending money on training, on coaching, um, so I, and, that's and that's essentially what a yeah a, a conference is a, essentially some form of training. Yeah. The, the what what transfer you transfer of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, and what's hard to replicate is the networking element, and so that's what we're all busy trying to work out is 
as well as the knowledge side, how, how can you bring together the viewers so that they can network mm. and that can be valuable for them as well. Um, yeah, and I guess a lot of events, you know, it's, it's not just the kind of physical space that's behind you in this image to the, um, the Zoom uh, video conferencing elements. It's not as if events were totally non-digital. Many events have um, network sharing apps. They have many kind of uh, formats that have a di digital element to them. Uh, so I guess the events business uh, is, is transferring. I guess it's just a lot to do now is how to commercialize it. Um, so on the content side of things, um, how, how are you viewing it uh, in general with Generation E? Um, so there's so Generation E has the mission to inspire transformation to smarter mobility. And, and that's a topic which I think needs to be explored um, and communicated more anyway. So smarter mobility can be anything from scooters, bikes, buses, electric cars, flying taxis, autonomous vehicles. And there's so much innovation happening in that space now that it needs some channels to be able to communicate what's going on. So we very much want to move into um, doing more around videos around specific companies across the world, um, obviously with a heavier focus on Middle East and Africa, mm. which is our main region focus. Um, we want to be bringing more news out uh, weekly through written format. Um, again, with that heavier focus on Middle East and Africa, because there's not enough going on here to communicate what's happening with smarter mobility. Mm. Um, podcasting is something that we launched um, last month, um, thanks to your suggestion that we should at the end of last year. So we, we got around to doing that. We enjoyed it. And we, yeah, we learned so much in that process, so we're ready to now start building that series. Uh, it's called Smarter Mobility World Podcast. Nice. Um, so I think they're some of the main channels that we'll be using on the content side. Yeah. So the, the content industry and the, a, a lot of media companies, um, buzzwords over the last few years are things like diversified revenue and, you know, what that generally can mean is a mix, right? So a lot of companies in the past would have been completely advertising dependent, um, and that seems to be a, disrupted a bit with a, a monopoly or a duopoly of Facebook and Google, uh, you know, uh, generating most of the revenue from digital advertising. So small publishers and media companies have had to look at other ways. They, they look at the different types of advertising revenue they can have, branded content or uh, display and programmatic revenue. And then they move into other w ways, such as direct-to-consumer subscription. We see all this happening now with paywalls and streaming. And then they move into uh, things like events. So from, from that point of view, are you looking at it as detailed as that? Do you want the Smarter Mobility World platform to have buckets of diversified revenue? Or, um, a or, or B, do you see it as the way some events companies in the past have is to uh, to inspire on the off season per se uh, in, in terms of keeping the community active uh, for when that revenue generating event comes around again? I think we'd like to see um, a fully diversified offering um, where we can offer our audience a lot more across the year and, and across the different platforms um, because essentially the audience that engage with us for the summits that we run are active in the, in the industry they want to know more they want to connect with different players they want to get insights they want to get an edge on their competitors and if we can help them to do that and create commercial value from that then it's something we'd love to do okay interesting uh, so what are some of the themes we, you mentioned earlier where is the electric vehicle industry right now in 2020? Um, and what are we looking at from a consumer point of view? Yes, yeah, so I think if we look at it from a Dubai perspective, it, it hasn't necessarily moved forward as quickly as we would have liked, um, although it has moved forward. The year of 2020 was you know, earmarked to be the year of the electric vehicle, um, not just for the UAE, but across the world. And that has been um, knocked because of COVID-19. So um, 
the electric vehicle industry may take a step back. But actually, this is this is a time when investment into electrification um, and all the infrastructure that needs to go into electrification should be should be at its highest because as we come out of COVID-19, we need to be coming out into a new and improved world, one that's really focusing on innovation um, around the key industries that are going to help us over the next 10 years. So cleaner energy, cleaner mobility, more accessible mobility that's smarter, that enables you and I and others across the world to move in a smarter way without having an impact. So it's, it's a really exciting time to put some pressure on those key decision makers and influencers to invest in the right types of technologies and not just to see, you know, the bailing out perhaps of um, automotive companies that aren't pulling their weight to transition to cleaner mobility. Mm. Um, so that needs to happen. So um, that was a that was sounded like an accusation, uh, Ben. Is that is that what's <laughs> happening? You know, because if we're to follow, um, I guess, a lot of the communications that come out of the big uh, automotive giants around the world, they do seem to. Is this just marketing spin? Like you know, at the motor shows, they do seem to have electric vehicles on the podium. They do seem to have um, shiny logos and nice models. Um, is that not enough? Are they not investing enough? I think it's it's not easy for them, really. Um, it's very easy for me and for anyone to say, you know, you must do this and this is what needs to happen. But to actually put that into practice is, is very difficult because a lot of these companies are um, successful. We, we know their brands and their products so well. They've invested a huge amount over the last few decades and some centuries into a product that they've worked out how to make a lot of money from and so to then completely ditch that and move over to a new product where the profit margins may be not as high or maybe there isn't even any profit in the first units they're selling it's, it's difficult for them to do because they have to think about their shareholders their employees mm. um, and so on and so forth it would end so up the transition yeah. is not as it would end up cannibalizing yeah. existing revenue models yeah, it's, it's, it's cannibalizing, um, but it's also trying to main, you know, they want to maintain their profit level and grow their profit if possible. And transitioning to electric vehicles may not do that in the, in the short term for them because there's a certain amount of learning experience that's educating their distribution channels, that's educating their workforce, educating the market. Um, so they do face a dilemma. However, the other dilemma is that if they don't move quickly enough, you know, there are companies out there like Tesla that will steal market share or take market share. Interesting. Um, especially, especially in the premium segments. Interesting. So I, I think what, what I can understand from that is that a lot of the consumer interest is in the premium sec section for now, segment for now. Um, we've seen Tesla's journey uh, and story being told over the last decade or so. Uh, a lot of the d debate and conversation has been around their ability to produce at scale. Uh, looking at the consumer, you know, one of the tipping points maybe in an industry to uh, change from an old model to another is demand. Um, can we can we uh, safely say that the demand isn't there at scale yet for electric vehicles? And if so, why not? So we, I think we can say the demand is there and that's that's quite evident because um, any of the new electric vehicles that are launching, um, they sell out and the waiting lists are normally sort of, you know, three, six, nine months just to get that car once you've made the order. Um, so demand is definitely outstripping supply and, and last year saw two and a half million passenger vehicles sold. Um, we are getting to a point now where there are more electric vehicle models available and by the end of this year, there'll be 500 different electric vehicle models available, um, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance. So it's not just the Teslas and the Nissans and a few other models out there. There's actually a range of um, options. What's, what's, the ratio? That, what's the ratio, Ben? The 2.5 million versus non-electric vehicle? Do you know what what's the percentage market share at the moment? I don't know the exact, but it will probably be hovering around 1% to 2%. Um, so very low in terms of the whole market in, in what's being sold. Um, but the, you know, in, in 2016, 
we're under 100 million uh, sorry we're under a million vehicles being sold mm. uh, 2017 just just hit a million so you can see in just three three four years we've jumped up to 2.5 million and that trend will continue to grow and we'll start to see a rapid increase um, also today of 2020 there's a lot more models available compared to in 2017 it was literally a handful of models that you would seriously consider to buying you know the rest were just not really up for the job whereas now all new electric vehicles coming to the market are um, coming in with the features that you know would make the average person feel comfortable so having a strong range uh, the charging infrastructure has improved um, the cost has come down slightly so these vehicles are now accessible for more based on buyer preferences by preferences. So you mentioned some of the trends earlier. Can you explain a little bit more about the terminology around smarter mobility? Uh, is it is it is it intimidating? Is it are we talking about really technical aspects of Internet of Things? Uh, do people, if someone wants to buy a car, do they need to know about smarter mobility? Well, in its simplest form, smarter mobility is just me being able to walk around to the local shops and buy my milk. Um, you know, that's smarter mobility because it doesn't require any resource. Mm. It's actually good for me as a human being because I'm exercising and there's no impact on the planet whatsoever. Amazing. Okay. Apart from a small bit of a rubber coming off the bottom of my shoe. <laughs> um, so in its simplest form, you know, and then if you work up from that, you've got trying to build cities in and societies where cycling is more acceptable and it's safer and you can you only have to look at Denmark and the Netherlands to see how that's part of their psychology and I, I remember and I always reference this I was cycling in Amsterdam one year um, and I got to the road and I stopped for the car because that's what you do normally when you get to the road you stop to give way to the car and the car stopped and he looked at me and I looked at him and he looked at me and this went on for about a minute and then I realized, oh, he's stopped for me because he's giving me the right of way. So I said, thanks, and I cycled over. He was a bit annoyed, thinking, oh, these tourists. <laughs> but that's just a classic example of a complete reverse psychology okay. from you know, Dubai or even London, where the cyclist does not get right of way. Um, so that's a form of smarter mobility, um, having a city that doesn't need to rely on cars, but actually more people could cycle. Mm. And I'm sure if you could cycle safely uh, from where you live to your office, you would be the first one to jump on that. Yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> Interesting. That's a fascinating way to look at it as an industry. And, you know, my mind went there went to kind of carbon emissions and, uh, you know, uh, air travel and freight and, and airplanes, basically, and how, how they can, uh, you know, have new forms of energy as well. So it, it, it is a kind of all-encompassing framework and platform than you've got um you and i have been cycling out in alcudra and you gave me a lesson about uh you know the the pollution in the air i've seen uh, some graphics since uh the kind of global lockdowns and the different things that have happened in the last few weeks can you explain a little bit about the impact uh that you know we're seeing at the moment and um, there was a there's a funny thing that that says that I think a meme on social media that said that the kind of um, the environmental champions should hire COVID-19's uh, communications director <laughs> because it's achieved an awful lot more in, in, in a few weeks. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that and and uh, the environment in general? Yeah, this is a really good point because, you know, one of the upsides of this terrible pandemic is that we've seen cleaner air and lower emissions um, and what that's done is it's made everyone take note and become aware of what can be achieved if we stop doing certain things um, or change the way we're doing things I don't think anyone wants to stop anything you know we all want to be able to drive around and move around and fly around and enjoy our lives mm. but we need to change the way we're doing it so you know, the hope is, and I don't know how this is going to pan out yet, is that we can see what we've achieved through carbon emission savings and, and air quality improvements in the last few months. And we can try to maintain those lower levels through adapting the way that we operate as a human species. So electrification is one way 
that you can clearly clean up the air because there are no emissions at the point of use. So, you know, if a car is, is driving around our Kudra and it's electric, there are no emissions. If someone lives near Shakeside Road and there's the cars going by every day and they're electric, there's no emissions. So the air becomes cleaner from that point of view. Um, and then there's a lot that we can do to reduce our carbon intensity around energy production. So scaling up solar power um, across the world, utilizing wind energy. Um, clean hydrogen is something that's really exciting if it can fulfill its promise, especially for this region that is currently an energy exporter. So obviously oil is a big product here. If the country could transition towards clean hydrogen, that means they could produce clean hydrogen here from solar power, bottle it up and sell it across the world so they could maintain that revenue stream as an economy, just like Norway would love to do, just like the UK would love to do. Mm. Um, so China's seen you know, a reduction in, in emissions of around 20, 25% over the wow. last two months, which is a huge drop. The, the concern from the, the ecosystem is that that will not be sustained and there'll be a bounce back as China rushes to try and restore its GDP balance and um, you know, everyone goes back to work and the factories are ramped up as, you know, as much as possible to mm. recover from the few months that they've lost in trade. Mm. Fascinating. Um, we could talk at length, I think, on this, and it'd be great to have you back on again because there's, you know, there's, it's interesting to hear about Generation E um, from a business point of view, and on Dubai Works, that's what we focused about, but it's really kind of opened my mind to uh, so much that's happening and affecting every aspect of the world that we live in. So thanks very, very much, Ben, for sharing that with us. And best of luck with your, with your virtual uh, transition with uh, Generation E. Thanks, Rich. We'll keep you updated on how that's moving. Okay, take care. Stay safe. Hey, guys. I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.